The peace of Christ be with you. You may have seen that this week, Marin County was moved to tier two of its reopening plan. Our elders met and determined that we wouldn't pursue reopening for indoor activities, at least until our renovation was complete at the end of October. You can see, and maybe you already have, a fuller video and statement about that on our website. It was in the e-news in some form and will be again this week and on social media. But for now, we continue to worship in this form and we'll take whatever comfort we can in being together in this way until it's safe to be together again. So with that, let us begin as we always do with three deep breaths that we might become more fully aware of the presence of the living spirit with us wherever we are. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. God welcomes all strangers and friends. God's love is strong and it never ends. God welcomes all strangers and friends. God's love is strong and it never ends. God welcomes all strangers and friends. God's love is strong and it never ends. Would you join me in our call to worship? Friends, we gather in the promise of a new day. We come bearing things to release. We arrive hoping for new understandings and a presence. Abide with us, Spirit, that we might grow in a safe space. Will you join me in singing our first hymn, We Gather Together. Thank you. 
Good morning again, and a welcome to those of you worshiping with us virtually uh, the 20th time, the 100th or 1,000th time at all. A special welcome to those of you who found us some way uh, and are worshiping with us maybe the first time or the first of a handful of times. This is your introduction to this beloved community, the people of Westminster. We hope you feel a special sense of home through the interactions you see in the chat boxes, the emojis that fly up on Facebook, the words spoken here, the songs that are sung. We hope that you feel a special connection to the divine and to each of us, uh, a special welcome to you. Would you all join me in our community prayer? Gracious God, we desire faith in you. We long for long-standing trust. At the same time, may uh, many of us experience doubt or trouble with what we have experienced in religion. We seek not so much forgiveness for this, but a way through it. We seek a deeper understanding. We seek better answers. We seek a path we can walk without crossed fingers. Help us to persist in exploring long enough to find what we seek. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Ever-present God, you walk with us through good times and bad mountaintop and valley deep. Your footsteps are our guide, your hands are our support. We trust in your forgiveness that you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. We have knocked and are grateful that you open the door. Open our hearts and minds to your spirit. May this time together bring us closer to one another and closer to you in love. Amen. And now, please get anyone in your house that has a birthday in September, that's a couple of people in our home, uh, go get them and bring them close to the screen. Bethany. It is the third Sunday of the month, which means it is Birthday Blessing Sunday. So if you have a birthday in September, happy birthday to you. I want to share a reading with you from this book. It's called Emerge. I shared some readings from it earlier this summer for some of our evening prayers on Facebook. It's a book written specifically for this shelter-in-place time. It says, Blessings and Rituals um, to use as we are sheltered in place. And I want to read this for you. It's called Blessing for the Future. Bless, O oh God, the unanswerable, the hypothetical, the possible. Bless the silence the shrug, the hard to say, the who knows, the have to wait and see. Bless the markers, the absence of markers, the path, the no path, the indistinct, the clearing. Bless you in it, the presence, the firm, the knowing, the power, the same love. Bless you in it, the center, the serene, the hidden near, the gleaming, the boundless mercy. 
the same love. The same love here and there, the same love now and when. It's by Reverend Mary Luti. So my hope, my prayer for you on your birthday is that you may know that presence of God with you, even during these very uncertain times. By this point, half of us have celebrated a birthday in shelter in place, which is certainly an odd way to celebrate. But may you know God's presence with you, whether you see the path or see no path, whether the way ahead seems clear or not so clear. God is with you through it all. Happy birthday. And now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen and happy birthday. God grant them many years. 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 time of discovery this morning, I want to share a song with you. Hopefully this is a song that many of our kids already know. We've been singing it for the last several weeks in our Sunday School videos as we have uh, learned about the theme of compassion and various ways that compassion is shown in our Bible stories. And so as part of our lesson, we sing this song every week. So kids, Sing out loud if this is familiar to you. The rest of you, I hope you will sing along. The words are pretty straightforward. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my children, that's what you've done for me. That's it. That's the whole song. I'll sing it through and then join in with me, please. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my children,
So if you haven't been able to check out our Sunday School videos, go to our YouTube channel, WPC Tiburon, or they're also on our podcast channel, also WPC Tiburon. Um, let's learn together about being compassionate to one another. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. I want to start our joys and concerns by uh, sort of an informative joy and concern. Uh, 2020 is nearly over which means that our stewardship campaign for 2021 is beginning. Uh, so we have much to be grateful for this year, of course, that we, con this community continues to be active and engaged with each other, with the needs of the community here in Marin and afar. Uh, and so, of course, that requires some resources, uh, and our stewardship committee has built a, an informative video and a moving one at that to kind of recap the last year and look forward to the next one. So I'll give it to them. Greetings, Westminster. My name is Christina Hansen, and I'm chair of our church's stewardship commission. This is the time of year when we begin our annual pledge drive. But first, Let's take a look back at this unprecedented year and see how Westminster has been there for us and how we have been there for each other. Morning. Welcome to worship. Friends of mine. In peace on this Easter morning. I'll tell you this, but you're pretend superheroes and these kids out here, they're the real superheroes. Them bones, them bones are gonna walk around. And he gave it to his disciples. Still in my collar, still in my shorts. Hello, Westminster. I'm Hi, everybody. Hello, Westminster. Hello, Westminster family. We really sure well, is. really well. Pals from Westminster. So it's a really wonderful community. Hi, church family. Hi, I'm Porter Merriman. Um, and I'm Hi, Westminster. This is the Harrison family. That's the problem. Uh, it, it lets you change to a gallery view, which will show more people. Hi, this is Osiris family sheltered in place in Green Ridge. Hi, everyone. Hey, it's the Dini family. Hello. Hey, Westminster. Hi, this is Cecilia, Alex, and Cara. Excellent. Oh, oh, thank you, my dear. <laughs> to the folks watching on Facebook. Wait, hold on. We're yeah. not there yet. God bless God you. you. We're not sure what the remainder of 2020 has in store for us, but one thing we do know is that we want Westminster there with us every step of the way. When you pledge, you make that possible. Thank you. Again, certainly a joy. Some of the memories of this year, despite all the hardships, uh, some joyful memories, of course, and uh, a concern for this uh, wonderful congregation of how we might uh, kind of fulfill what God might be calling us to in the new year. So you'll be 
finding out more information on stewardship in the coming months and days and weeks. Uh, but this is our intended time for prayer. And of course, the, the news of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg weighs heavy on many, many, if not all of our hearts. Uh, it almost felt a little awkward to begin with stewardship and not that. Uh, so forgive me. Uh, I, I, so I would like to first start our moment of joys and concerns by when we're normally together, we take that time to people voice their prayers uh, audibly. And it's kind of a free expression and love and unity of this church. So I want to invite first in our joys and concerns to, if it brings you any sense of peace or hope, to let out your prayers through the typed word, through the keyboard in front of you. Uh, I want to first offer this time of joys and concerns to allow you to uh, write out those prayers of joy and concern for our country as it, in regards to the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. May we pray, uh, and then I'll we'll have another moment of joy, of dedicated joys and concerns. So let's take a few moments to pray uh, for our country and our elected leaders and the representative government that makes up who we are. Let us pray. Of course, if you're writing or trying to find the words to write, just keep writing over top of what I say here. It's just a guided uh, prayer. Um, I am interested in what other joys you might have. There was a joy in our house. So he says, I said earlier, we have some September birthdays. Our children, Theo and Soul, they just turned six this past Thursday. So great joy uh, of their lives uh, was celebrated and is celebrated this weekend. Uh, what other joys do you have to share with this beloved congregation? Take a moment to offer them here as well, if you may. And lastly, there are many things that concern us. Um, as I've been uh, spending time with some of the youth in the community, it's fires, it's the coronavirus, it's the things that are on our mind. Maybe there are more personal concerns to you. Uh, it is a, uh, I guess there's a moment of solidarity and knowing that what you uh, write or pray or confess to the people in the room with you now as a concern of yours um, can maybe offer some peace in knowing there are other people praying alongside you. So if there are any concerns that you would like to raise up here, please do so. God, as we pray in this time, 
for all these things that have been mentioned, for our nation, for our elected leaders, for those we've lost this year, whether they are as famous as a Supreme Court justice or as unknown as the person who passes away alone at a, in a hospital bed. God, we pray for peace and fairness and justice and kindness, self-control, love and joy, all those things that we find in your kingdom. May they reign here on earth and may we be instruments of those things. May our hope and trust as it is placed in you fulfill the scriptures that will produce such a mysterious source of joy in our lives that provides hope for us. God, I know many of us wonder how we can even pray, what words we could even offer to you in this time. So God, may we pray those words that your son taught us to pray so long ago saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
A word of introduction before I offer the scripture reading. We're beginning a sermon series this week on troubling scripture passages. You ever come across one of those? I think many have found a home at a church such as Westminster because we're not overly dogmatic. We don't push literalism. We try to honor everyone's beliefs best we can. And yet, even still, folks here and certainly other churches often come through the doors with their fingers crossed in a manner of speaking. They're not sure they believe this or are ready to accept that, but they clearly carry the sense that they are expected to believe this and accept that. And so as a result, they feel as somehow as if they failed. They're not fully part of the fold. And one of the biggest sticking points for people is the Bible. This collection of sacred texts that the church has always upheld as a pathway to faith has in reality functioned so many times as a roadblock. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is hopefully help remove that roadblock for you. And we'll do that by wrestling with some of the toughest passages. The idea for this came from an article on Salon that I read. It was actually a rather lazy critique of Christianity. And its approach was lifting up these strange passages as if to say, answer for this. Well, good idea. We should answer for that. Not by becoming defensive or explaining away every difficult piece with some platitude, but rather by reframing what it means to take the Bible seriously. It doesn't mean lifting it up as some kind of instruction guide with one-to-one correspondence to modern reality. No, it means learning to engage differently. Here's what biblical scholar Peter Enns says about this. He says, quote, sweating bullets to line up the Bible with our exhausting expectations to make the Bible something it's not meant to be isn't a pious act of faith. Even if it looks that way on the surface, it's actually thinly masked fear of losing control and certainty mirror of inner disquiet, a warning signal that deep down we do not really trust God at all. In other words, we've placed unfair expectations on the scriptures. And says reading the Bible responsibly and respectfully today means learning what it meant for Israelites, for ancient Israelites to talk about God the way they did and not pushing alien expectations onto texts written long ago and far away. Take, for example, marriage. It's the classic case of how I think scripture has been misused. You hear this term biblical definition of marriage in conversations from time to time. The ancient world did not have a conception of marriage that looks anything like the relationship many of you watching this have or see. 
Now, the Bible was written over a long period of time, and so it has varied definitions of marriage as well. But they include things such as men owning the woman and often the women, plural. There's nothing that resembles the kind of equal partnership that we at least aspire to in our culture today. Now, that's not to say the Bible doesn't have anything to say about marriage. What it is to say is if we want to learn what the Bible has to say about marriage, we don't simply look for the marriages in Scripture and then seek to emulate them in some superficial manner. Rather, what we do is we mine the Scriptures, the teachings, the stories, for the values that rise to the surface, the ways of being that are upheld as godly, as kingdom-like. The Bible teaches a lot about the importance of fidelity, of commitment, of covenant, of mutuality, of reverence, of patient love, of mutual forbearance. Those are biblical values that very much speak to what a marriage in our time could look like. So what we're doing when we approach the Bible takes a little bit of work. It's not surface work. Enns says this, when we open the Bible and read it, we are eavesdropping on an ancient spiritual journey. I love that description. We're encountering the remnants, the writings of those who wrestled with their own existence, with the challenges and the dangers of life, and of or with what it means to be in relationship with this mysterious one that we call God. And in encountering their accounts of that wrestling, we are presented with fruits that we can glean to nourish us for our own wrestling. We don't get in the Bible a simple list of perfect moral exemplars. We get portraits and dramas and poems and prayers of people and characters, beautiful and broken as we, trying as we do to navigate their way through this life. And in that sense, the Bible very much has something to say to us today. So are you ready for today's passage? It's a doozy, not one that I probably would have picked on my own. It's from the book of Ezekiel. And there's a church tradition, believe it or not, that no one under 30 should want to read the book of Ezekiel, should be allowed to read the book of Ezekiel which would, of course, inspire people under 30 to want to read the book of Ezekiel. But in all seriousness, it's graphic in nature. It's sexual in nature. It's crude. It employs shaming. So, again, in seriousness, I might recommend a couple of things. First, if you're watching with your children, you may choose instead to have them watch the Sunday school lesson and then be on with another activity. Or you may be ready to have a pretty serious conversation with them afterwards. And secondly, you may uh, be warned that there may be things in this passage that are triggering for you. And so you may opt out. 
Or you also may reach out to one of us if you need some further conversation. So with that, selected verses from the 23rd chapter of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me, mortal. There were two women, the daughters of one mother. They played the whore. I don't like using that word, but it's the driving metaphor in this passage, so I will retain it. They played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. Their breasts were caressed there and their virgin bosoms were fondled. Ohala was the name of the elder and Ohalaba the name of her sister. They became mine and they bore sons and daughters. Ohala played the whore while she was mine. She lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors, clothed in blue, governors and commanders, all of them handsome young men mounted horsemen. She bestowed her favors upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone for whom she lusted. She did not give up her whorings that she had practiced since Egypt. For in her youth, men had lain with her and fondled her virgin bosom and poured out their lust upon her. Therefore, I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness. They seized her sons and her daughters and they killed her with the sword. Judgment was executed upon her and she became a byword among women. Her sister, Ohalabah, saw this, yet she was more corrupt than her sister in her lusting and in her whorings, which were worse than those of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors, clothed in full armor, mounted horsemen, all of them handsome young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way. But she carried her whorings further. She saw male figures carved on the wall, images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, with belts around their waists, with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like officers, a picture of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea, or it's probably rather Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messages to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with lust. And after she defiled herself with them, she turned to them in disgust. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her as I turned from her sister. Yet she increased her whorings, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt. You longed for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians fondled your bosom and caressed your young breasts. For thus says the Lord God, bring up an assembly against them, make them an object of terror and of plunder. The assembly shall stone them and with their swords they shall cut them down. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn their houses. Thus will I put an end to lewdness in the land so that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. They shall repay you for your lewdness and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry and you shall know that I am the Lord God.
Here ends the reading. And you may have wished I'd ended the reading earlier or that we could cut it out and have a a snowflake Bible. By that, I mean the craft project that kids make when they cut the holes out of the paper so we could just keep what we want. That's one approach and it's one people have taken. But might we dare to find something here? What word would you use to describe what you just heard? Bizarre? Violent? Crude? Offensive? How about disturbing? The great Jewish theologian and civil rights activist Abraham Joshua Heschel opened one of his books with this very sentence. This book is about some of the most disturbing people who ever lived. He was not talking about the Nazis or the Klan. He was talking about the prophets. Prophets such as Ezekiel, sacred to the Jewish people as well as Christians. Disturbing. And that's exactly their intention. Now let's pause here so we don't get it wrong. Because Ezekiel is offensive here, disturbing on on, on two levels, at least two levels. An An unintentional level and an intentional level. And if we're not careful, the formal the former will obscure the latter and will miss the gift. So the first level is a rather obvious one for us today, the way women are depicted in this passage. Hopefully we've awoken, though our work is not done there, to speaking differently, even when we're speaking in terms of metaphor. Here Ezekiel plays into all the destructive uh, tropes we know. Women are over-sexualized. Yet they're slut-shamed at the same time. Men are rewarded for that activity. They're there to allure men who lead them to their downfall. It's the oldest two-word story in the book, that book. Blame Eve. And that story's been retold over generations. And I think we can acknowledge that to compare Israel's, God's chosen people in this scripture, their unfaithfulness, their failure to be faithful to God, to compare them to a whoring woman, leaves a stain not only on the people, but on womanhood. And as people of faith, we can recognize the problem of that, the injustice of that. But make no mistake, Ezekiel is trying to be offensive, not on that front, but on other fronts. That's what prophets do. Heschel says this, they're meant to disturb us. Because what they do is they they hold up a mirror to the way the society is behaving, particularly people at the top who have the power. And by being disturbing, What they're trying to show is how disturbing the norms are, the behavior is, sometimes even the laws are. They are what's disturbing. 
because they have lost touch with God and God's justice and God's dream for the world. God's covenant, God's law, it's out of sync. And the prophets stand in contrast to that to show people what's really going on. It's sort of like protests. And it's always interesting to see people get offended at at, at protests for being disruptive or unseemly or even destructive. But that's the intention. It's to disrupt what they see as an unjust order, to grab the attention, to offend and awaken. And a well-construed protest, which is not every protest, shines a mirror on the injustice of the very society it is trying to affect, it is trying to evolve. You can't correct somebody's norms and behaviors and sometimes even laws while you're simultaneously upholding them. So Ezekiel intends to be offensive, though not in the way we earlier spoke of. What is Ezekiel trying to do? Ezekiel is trying to point out the ways in which the nation has lost its way. It's forgotten who it was. It's been unfaithful to who it was created to be. And the the mechanism for the prophet's teaching and critique is in this image of the two daughters. Now, this is interesting, too. Two daughters of the same mother. Here's a positive image of femininity. The mother, God, the two daughters, two cities of import. Those sisters, Ohala and Ohalaba, represent Samaria and Jerusalem, the capital cities of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, respectively. And they've lost their way. And they've been seduced by foreign powers. And other conceptions of what true power is. They've lost sight of their divine parentage. They've forgotten the values that are central to their identity and that they aspire to in the type of community they want to form. They've been acting a fool in the world. And Ezekiel is calling them home by holding up an ugly picture and saying, this is you. Or better said, This is who we've become. Come home. That's shocking for some people to hear in their church because the church has done a disservice at times in sending the message that it's all about affirming whatever choice you've ever made, comforting you at every turn. Well, the life of faith should be comforting. Scripture should be comforting. But it's also correcting. God comes to us in the image of the good shepherd and the good prophet. And both are vessels for God's love, for both lead us into better versions of our 
ourselves. We may not like the terms and the images that the Bible employed in order to accomplish that. To, to bring the people who wrote it to the place they needed to be. We may choose different words and images, and we should, but it doesn't mean we don't have anything to glean from what they left behind for us. They who, like we, can be both beautiful and ugly in our behavior. I hope you stay with us for these next few weeks. It won't be boring, and it just might help remove some roadblocks for you. And think of that. Again, the way to faith may be made clear. May it be so. Amen. encourage you to stay involved, to become involved in this church community in whatever way makes sense for you. Just a couple of events coming up this week. Our Women Connecting Group is meeting this Tuesday at 7 p.m. via Zoom. The presenter will be our Pastor Emeritus, the Reverend Doug Haneke. If you're interested in participating and have not yet RSVP'd, please uh, do so with Judy Freedy. Our Wednesday morning class continues to gather. Right now, they are in the middle of a series uh, facilitated by Jeff Schenkel on the book of Leviticus. New members are always welcome, Wednesdays at 9.30. If you need the Zoom link, let me know. And then next Sunday, a week from today at 4 p.m., we're having a special outdoor worship service for families with children in elementary school or younger. If you'd like to participate in that, please RSVP to me. Space is limited so we can maintain our social distancing regulations. You may recall that every fall, our church has supported the Pedal for Protein effort, which is a presbytery-wide effort. Things are a little different this year, but Pedal for Protein continues. So here is a word from Jim Gibbs about what's happening this year. Good morning, this is Jim Gibbs. I want to ask you to uh, help uh, our Westminster team to raise funds for food banks on the North Coast. As you know, our presbytery extends all the way to the Oregon border. And for seven years, uh, a hardcore group of cyclists uh, have been carrying out a week-long <clears throat> cycling run 
uh, that they use uh, as a fundraiser. And we've raised in seven years over $250,000 for food, for uh, food banks uh, extending up to the Oregon border. Uh, this year, uh, there's not a week long ride, uh, but the campaign is being carried out uh, in a much more informal way. Uh, either by cycling uh, on stationary bikes at home or by, uh, as the opportunity and fresh air are, are, uh, offer, to get out on the road. We have a team at Westminster of six people, uh, Bob Miller, Mark Sachs, Bill McLeod, Pat Arce, me, Jim Gibbs, and Doug Hunnicky and uh, also joined by Curtis Robinson, who's a Baptist pastor and a member of our men's Friday morning men's connection. Uh, we'll be, we will be cycling uh, all week, and we're asking that you support us by, by pledging and donating uh, so many cents per mile to our cumulative accomplishment. So uh, instructions on how to donate will be on the, uh, the church website um, and uh, we hope you'll join us. Thank you so much. receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is father and mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day.
be with you every day. Amen. Thank you.